We have this book in our family and it's called the thousand and one question book and it goes from light and easy to extreme spiritual matters. Don't worry, we're going light and easy. But the question I wanna ask you, because we did this around the ta- our dinner table last night was, what animal represents your personality the most? So say hello to someone, tell them your name and think about the animal and let's share that with each other. Ready, go. Okay, so I, there's laughing happening. I wanna hear some of the animals. So will you introduce yourself to our whole church family in the auditorium? So don't worry, we won't go through everyone, but will some people say, what were the animals you shared? What were some of your animals? Cindy, you're, you're, you're totally volunteering someone. You can go first, great. <laughs> That's okay, you can like, maybe. Yeah, okay, there we go. That's real. I'm loyal. <laughs> so Golden Retriever, she lives with one, but she loves how they're loyal. They like to be petted similarly, like likes to be touched. Physical touch is love language. Okay, anyone else want to share? What was yours? Kayla, go for it. Um, chickens. Chickens? <laughs> Tell me why a chicken. We have chickens. But we do. We do. Sorry, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have gone. Yes. Kayla, why a chicken? Yeah, your favorite animal is a chicken. That makes sense. Thanks, Kayla. That's beautiful. Anyone else? Go for Rochelle. A monkey, Rochelle. Thank you. What about why monkey? Okay, so you know what's interesting? I didn't put it together that monkeys get easily discouraged and confused until you said that. And I was like, oh yeah, every time I've been at a zoo. Anyways, <laughs> those are my only encounters with monkeys, guys, let's be honest. All right, so we've been in a series of Ecclesiastes for about a month. And as a teaching team, when we began to talk and prepare, and we asked a lot of questions about how long could we linger in the space of sadness, of deep questions, of wonder, and of wrestling. So Brian, Tom, and Clayton have done a great job inviting us to participate in the text, not being passive listeners, but active listeners, allowing ourselves to feel all the feelings and allowing ourselves to question and experience. I love that about Ecclesiastes. I love that in Ecclesiastes, we're asked to bring our full selves. And that's what Brian, Tom, and Clayton have said. Bring your full selves and allow your full selves to experience all that God might be offering us in a book that maybe not many of us have ever read. So what are we finding out? This mysterious book that maybe you've never read or I've never read is not just a book in the Bible that leads us to the next book, which is the Song of Songs, which leads us to the next book. It's actually a book full of the longings and losses in life. And it makes us stop and pause and think about those longing and losses. It makes us wonder how many other people are experiencing the same thing. So you know, the world's covered in losses right now, right? Whether it's your personal ones or it's the global ones, we're seeing it all around. So Hevel, Hevel, there seems to be a meaninglessness. 
Well, one of the things we've done as a teaching team is we have been reading through this book called Against the Grain. And there's this beautiful part right at the beginning of chapter five. It talks about the church of Ecclesiastes. If Ecclesiastes was to be a church, this is what it would sound like. The time seems ripe. Materialism and science have turned out to be disappointments. Yearnings for simplicity run deep. So does the grinding anxiety about the world situation, about the environment and the well-being of our own families. Today's religious climate is friendly to experimentation, to extreme worship, to alternative services, to ancient modern liturgies, ways of getting closer to God and closer to the mystery, closer to the bone, away from the energy-sapping demands of the day's endless routines. Now a church formed off the book of Ecclesiastes would follow some of the basic themes of reverence for God gratitude for creation, pleas for forgiveness of vanities and injustices enacted during the week. Testimonies would be heard from each other. Like, are you a monkey? Are you a golden retriever? So would summaries of history, of Israel, of the prophets, the shapers of Ecclesiastes, the religious identity, sermons would be kept short, no, no, no one said hallelujah. Okay, that's nice. Simplicity would be made known. Humility, companionship, trust. We would deconstruct fame. We would deconstruct workaholism. Stinginess, political oppression, compulsive talking. A banner would be unfurled and proclaiming a creed. Remember there's a time to live and a time to die. All is vanity, but enjoy your work, your days and your nights. Follow the 10 commandments. And we don't know the divine mind, so let's not act like we do. Love God, fear God. And then afterward, we would all join in dinner together and commune. To this point, Ecclesiastes has been analyzing all the different aspects of our lives. The teacher has asked some pretty serious questions. And today we get a reprieve for a second because we're only going to talk about five verses. Just joking, seven. Why I said five, I don't know. But seven verses. And we'll begin to talk about God and what it means to spend time in his presence. So today we're in chapter five, one through seven. And this is what it says from the message version. Watch your step. When you enter God's house, enter to learn. That's far better than mindlessly offering a sacrifice, doing more harm than good. Don't shoot off your mouth or speak before you think. Don't be too quick to tell God what you think he wants wants to hear. God's in charge, not you. The less you speak, the better. Overwork makes for restless sleep. Overtalk shows you up as a fool. When you tell God you'll do something, do it. Now. God takes no pleasure in foolish nonsense. Vow it and then do it. Far better not to vow in the first place than to vow and not pay up. Don't let your mouth make you a total sinner. When called to account, you won't get by with, sorry, I didn't mean it. Why risk provoking God to angry retaliation? But against all illusion and fantasy and empty talk, there's always this rock foundation, fear God. 
This section is called Approaching God with Care. So many of our Bibles have these titles right before a section. And when I read that title, I was so excited. Here we go. We're going in breakthrough. Ecclesiastes is about to be really happy. We get to take our magnifying and spy glasses away and put them aside for a little bit because we aren't going to analyze anything. And then I kept reading and realized I was completely wrong and that our focus, though seemingly by the title, was going to be heavenward, was actually going to look at what we do on earth when approaching heaven. So the teacher feels the need to share about our approach to God. And it seems random and it feels weird. And if I'm honest, I'm not comfortable with it. But the interesting thing is there's seven verses. God's mentioned seven times. And in the entire book of Ecclesiastes, God's only mentioned 40 times. God is all knowing and humans are limited in their knowing. God's ways are different than humans' ways. God's thoughts are different than humans' thoughts. The all knowing one understands He sees the entire picture and has better perspective because he is the all-knowing God that actively engages and loves and leads his creation. So as much as I couldn't wait to talk about these verses, and as much as I realized that these were going to bring the magnifying glass out even more, it it was about to begin to show us our relationship with God. See, the teacher begins to wrestle with how do we relate to God? Are we even in relationship with God? Or do we say things and do things just because we think that will please God? As I read the verses, I wondered, do I even know the God he's talking about? I don't like the thought of God retaliating on me. I don't like God calling me a fool. But I do. And I did. I say that because I used to have this view of God that I was this dog. And if I was the dog, maybe a golden retriever because I love them. But if I was this dog, then I would just always be good. And I knew if, if I was good at all times, then God would make sure that I was rewarded. But if I was bad, then I deserve to be punished because that's what God would do to me. But that's not the God I know today. And so for me to reconcile the two, my hope is that we will go verse by verse today and explore, maybe bring out an even bigger magnifying glass and look a little deeper. So let's start with the first couple verses. It starts with, watch your step when you enter God's house. Enter to learn. That's far better than mindlessly offering a sacrifice, doing more harm than good. The teacher is looking at matters of the heart. And unlike different parts of our culture today, The things of the heart, our inward being, actually matters quite a bit to God and to the writers of the prophets and wisdom literatures. They wanted to make sure that what our outside recording videotape and our words of the tape recording were actually matching up. So if we had a recording of our life and it was a video, this is literally how I came to Jesus. I was at a camp in the the speaker at the camp said, if I recorded every part of your life, would you want us to show it to everyone? And I was like, no. And they said, every thought, every word, every action. And that convicted me even more, no. But if our outside recording, our tape recording, doesn't match up with the words we're saying, that's concerning to God. That's concerning for the kingdom of God. And so the teacher, the author, is talking about that. Are we self-reflecting enough to even know are the two perspectives together? 
Are we self-reflecting enough to know? Are we contradicting ourselves? Do we know what's happening in our inside lives? Because sometimes we can say the prayers. We can say the Lord's Prayer. We can do communion. But if we don't mean it, then it's meaningless. It's Hevel. Verses two and three say, don't shoot off your mouth or speak before you think. Don't be too quick to tell God what you think he wants you to hear. God's in charge, not you. The less you speak, the better. Overwork makes for restless sleep. Overtalk shows you up as a fool. As we consider if we're in relationship with God, we need to remember that relationships are two ways. So I don't know about you, but there are times that I approach God and I want to hear from him. That's like my heart's desire. But before I know it, my time is done and I've talked so much that I never got his perspective. I never even stopped to think about that. So in the relationship with the author and teacher are saying is, are you considering with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who we should fear, not because he's scary, but because he's all knowing, because he's good and because he's created. Do, have you considered any of that? So uh, different times when I speak, I can leave. I've learned to leave and pray off. What that means is I pray that anything that may have attached to me during the service, God, will you take that away? I wanna live in the fruits of your spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, will you fill me with those and cut off all things that are not of you, from you, about you, or for you? But if I'm honest, there's times that I leave the door and I've done that and I feel great. Then I eat a big meal and I go to take my Sunday nap and my mind won't stop spinning. It's the playback of the message over and over and over again. People will say, do you watch your message? And I'm like, I don't know that I need to because if I'm honest with you, the truth is I play that message back so many times that it's probably ingrained in my head. I could repeat it to you right now, give you all the actions because it's so ingrained. Well, one day I was in my spinning and I said, Mike, I said, I did this. I said this. Was I blasphemous? Did I become a heretic in that message? And he looked at me and said, have you asked God what he thought about the message yet? And I looked at him in shock that he said that because it had never crossed my mind. I never thought to go to God, my creator, and ask him, what did you think about today? So I did it. And I say this phrase a lot, one encounter with God changes everything and one encounter with God changed everything because I got his perspective and not my own. Verses four and five say, when you tell God you'll do something, do it now. God takes no pleasure in foolish nonsense. Vow it, then do it. Far better not to vow in the first place than to vow and not pay up. Here, the author is asking the, the reader to reflect on how they usually engage with God. Do the readers engage in a way that their hope is only to impress, but they're never actually ever intending to follow through? So that leaves me in the question, when I sit in a service and I fill out the card and say, I'll pray in the lighthouse every day for however many days a week, am I actually gonna follow through with that? Or do I like everyone seeing me do those things? 
Because my heart can be well-intended and my actions may speak louder than words, but sometimes my lack of actions is also speaking louder to God than my words. Some of us, myself, I, Allie Cranmer, needs to accept, to accept that at times I'm a hypocrite. Not intended, but sometimes I am. Then you have verses six, and it says, don't let your mouth make you a total sinner. When called to account, you won't get by with, sorry, I didn't mean it. Why risk provoking God to angry retaliation? Verse seven says, but against all illusion and fantasy and empty talk, there's always this rock foundation. Fear God. The final two verses, again, ask us to consider the things we are saying and the ways we might be lying. So this was my aha moment for this message. So many of you have probably taken this class. How many of you have taken the class, here, the four keys to hearing God's voice? If you have, can you raise your hand? Okay, so a few of us have. So there are these four keys to hearing God's voice, and they are, does anyone remember? Stillness, vision, tuning into flow, and journaling. So there's hand motions. You're welcome, because we're going to all do it together. So stillness goes like this. Stillness, hearing, I need to look at these, sorry, sorry. Stillness, vision, fixing your eyes on Jesus, tuning into spontaneous thought, and then writing it down, journaling. It's all based off of Habakkuk 2, 1, and 2. And it says, I will climb to the watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. The whole class is about hearing God's voice, and it falls under third's value of intimacy. So you may not know this, but third has four values, intimacy, identity, belonging, and purpose. And we use those values as a system for us to filter. Does what we're about to do actually flow into that? So think of it as a calendar. If a bunch of stuff's falling through, then we want to make sure that the things we're doing actually go with the mission, vision, values of what our church is about. I love our values. Intimacy, created for deep connection with God. Identity, we know who and whose we are. Belonging, created for deep connection with others. Purpose, sent with significance for the kingdom and to impact the kingdom. So this one is under intimacy. The four keys to hearing God's voice. And the whole lessons, you learn how to tune in to who God is and to distinguish what his voice sounds like in your life. Well, there's one lesson in it that has always stuck out to me, and it's about the idols, which sounds weird. But when we're talking to God, we need to make sure that the voice we're hearing is actually from God. And so the idols that we might be praying through matter. Now, when I first heard it, the first thing I said was, I'm not praying through an idol. I am not a part of a religion that prays through an idol. My connection to God is pure. That's my hope, right? But anything can be an idol. So Mike, can you come here for a second? Sorry, I should have had you sit up front, I know. So here's the deal. An idol limits our connection to God. Ultimately, we want a direct connection to Jesus. We want to hear everything that Jesus has to say. We want to know exactly what's on Jesus's heart, and we want it to be a direct connection to us at all times. That is why hearing the voice of God matters. But name something. 
Anything can be an idol. Your family can be an idol. Your political party can be an idol. The music you listen to can be an idol. The sports you play can be an idol. Your job can be an idol. This list could go on and on. So let's say, hypothetically, my husband is an idol in my life. Come here, handsome man. Okay, come here, handsome model. <laughs> he just said I prefer model, that's why I said that. Okay, so if he's an idol in my life and I am wanting to hear from God, if he's standing here, unbeknownst to me or knowingly, I no longer am getting a direct connection from God. Because now what I am hearing has to filter through Mike to me. What I am saying filters through Mike to Jesus. That's a big deal. Thanks. That's so painful. Come on. It's a big deal because before we know it, we could be off track. There are things happen in the history of this world that people have said God had said that we're not okay. That we're off track. So how do you know? Here's the deal. First, I would say if there's any class, you should take this class. The four keys to hearing God's voice. It's about intimacy. It's about your relationship with Jesus. It's about hearing God's voice. But how you know is if what you are hearing contradicts scripture, that's a warning. That is not God's voice. If the people you usually go to and say, hey, guess what I heard from God? And they begin to say, hold on. I'm not so sure that God said that. That's a warning to be mindful of. So there's just a few of the ways, but the thing I began to realize for these seven verses is that our intimate relationship with the Lord matters a lot. And as much as the author and teacher is continuously saying, this is meaningless, why are we doing this? All things are meaningless. His perspective is under heaven. Our perspective is heaven. We get kingdom perspective and we want and should desire kingdom perspective. And because of that, our lives should align with kingdom perspective. Because I know none of us want to defame God. I know none of us want to make God look bad. I know all of us want to make Jesus famous. So where are we at today? Where is our heart? Where are our actions? And are they lining up? To end our time today, I want to give us some space to sit with God. To let our mouths be shut for a little bit to let our ears tune in for a while and to ask God some questions. So maybe you look at both questions. There's this piece of paper that's over there. If you didn't get it, you can grab it in a second, but there's two questions on this. And you can go through both of them. You can go through one of them, but the questions are, ask God to remind you of a situation that he would like to talk to you about from his perspective. And second, ask God if there has have been any idols that you have been unknowingly praying through this past season, then confess them and renounce them and renounce the power they've had in your life and ask that the love of Jesus refills you. After that, we will end our time by taking communion together. And so we are gonna take about four minutes and literally it's gonna be silent. 
Silence is uncomfortable, so I'm just going to say that. It's uncomfortable. I played with the idea of having music, but I think there's something to us just sitting in silence for today for a little bit. So let me pray, and if you need this, go ahead and grab it. There's pens too. If you don't need a pen, no worries, all that good stuff, but we're going to spend some time with Jesus today. Father, the thing I keep thinking is you know our hearts. And you know that we don't want to be foolish people. And so Jesus, will you talk to us today? We want a direct connection from you. And so we pray in this moment, anything that may want to rob, steal, destroy, kill this moment, anything that tries to interact that is not of you, from you, about you, or for you, God, will you immediately silence all of that so that the only voice we are connecting with is you. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, talk to us today. Today's World Communion Day. What that means is all around the world, the different denominations are engaging in communion today. I love the picture of that. For 24 hours, the first Sunday in October, communion is being taken. And the remembrance of what Jesus died on the cross for us is happening. So I invited my friend, Sada, to help me with this. And we're going to do this in English and in Spanish today. The Lord Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he had broken it. El Señor Jesús, la misma noche que fue traicionado, tomó el pan y cuando había dado gracias, lo partió. And he gave it to them saying, take it. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Y les dio diciendo, Tómenlo, cómanlo. Este es mi cuerpo que ha sido entregado a ustedes. Háganlo en memoria de mí. Right after, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the New Testament covenant made in my blood. This you do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. De la misma forma, él tomó la copa. Luego de haber cenado, dijo, Esta copa es el Nuevo Testamento en mi sangre. Esto, háganlo cuando lo tomen en mi memoria. The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. The cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. El pan que rompimos 
es la comunión del cuerpo de Cristo. La copa de bendición que bendecimos es la, es la comunión de la sangre de Cristo. We are going to say the Lord's Prayer again. And if you're comfortable, what I would love for us to do is for us to stand and hold hands together. A few things to know as communion is being passed by the elders, because we'll enter into worship at that time, is that there is our gluten-free communion, and they are pre-wrapped and on the side. You will receive the bread, and then you will receive the cup. Will you stand and pray the Lord's Prayer with us? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 